Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right. Let's, uh, if you open your Bibles, please, and we're going to, we always read our first verse here, which really sets the tone which is Exodus 24, 8. Then we're going to jump over to the last book in the Bible, Revelation 12, 10, Revelation 12, 10. But before we do, we're going, to, we're going to look to the God of all wisdom, power, and might. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. And Lord, we're your children, and we want to be taught tonight by you, our Father. So Lord, as we sit before you, teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus, Exodus 12, 8, going back to that memorable day when Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. That's the title of this series here, Behold the Blood. We've been covering different aspects. Now, if you turn to this next aspect we're gonna cover today, it's Revelation 12, Revelation 12, 10, Revelation 12, 10, where it says, John is writing here, Apostle John, I heard a voice, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. Now is come salvation of our God. Here, we, this is a song. This is a song of triumph that's going on right here. It's over. It's a triumph over the devil. It's a song like that. So when it says salvation to our God, that means that salvation belongs to the Lord Jesus. It belongs to God. It says. It says in Revelation seven ten about this salvation belonging to God. Revelation seven ten says that he cried with a loud voice, saying, "Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb." Revelation 19.1 carries the same theme where it says, after these things I heard a great voice of much people and saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Salvation was God's idea. That was God's idea. It wasn't our idea. It wasn't man's idea. It was God's idea. He's the one who came up with this thought. And in Ezekiel 37.23, he says that. In Ezekiel 37, 23, he said about Israel, he said, never shall they defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. It was God's idea. God looked on his people and he saw terrible things, idols, detestable things, transgressions. And then he says, I know it. 
I know what I'm gonna do, I will save them. I will save them and I will cleanse them and then they can be my people and I will be their God. So this was God's idea. Salvation was God's work, it wasn't ours. When it says in Ephesians 2.8, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Please, never, never, ever look at that verse and say the gift of God was our faith. That's even Calvin said, of all people, even Calvin said that the gift of God was not our faith in, from this verse. The gift of God is salvation. It's the salvation. The Greek is very clear. And it says, it further goes on in Hebrews 5.9, Hebrews 5.9, and being made perfect, he became the author of our salvation, of eternal salvation, unto all them that obey him. He's the author. He wrote it, and he made it happen. That's the Lord Jesus. So we said, salvation to our God. Then it goes on to say, the power of Christ. Literally, that word in the Greek is saying the authority of Christ, the authority of Christ. It finally, when it comes down to this, where the Lord Jesus exercises his authority, finally, he's receiving the rewards of his work when it's his authority. He has authority. This is what was so seen about the Lord Jesus when he was here on earth, was his authority. It says in, in Mark one twenty two. Mark one twenty two. this is talking about uh, the people's reaction when he was here. It says, they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You know what the scribes' teaching was like? Picture yourself in a lumber yard with sawdust all over the floor, and you walk through the lumber yard and you do this, and, and sawdust just goes up all over, and you're breathing out your coffee. That's what the teaching of the scribes was like. He was totally not like that at all. He taught them as one that had authority. Even the Roman centurion, when he encountered the Lord, when he encountered the Lord, and, and the Lord said, uh, well, okay, you want me to, your, your servant's sick? Okay, well, I'll come and I'll heal your servant. He said, no, 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 no. He said, no, in Matthew 8, 9, Matthew 8, 9. He said, I am a man under authority. I understand authority, he's saying. I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me also. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And then he went on to say, all you have to do is do like I do. I speak the word, it happens. You have to just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And the Lord was astonished at that. He says, I haven't found faith like that in Israel. That was a Roman. <laughs> and then in Matthew 28, 18, Matthew 28, 18, it's the Lord said that Jesus came and, and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That's the word authority. All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. So the question is, who gave him this authority? That was the question that, his, that the chief priests and scribes, they, they asked him that in Matthew 21, 23. Matthew 21, 23. When he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things and who gave thee this authority? Just like if, if the police would come in here and they'd say to me, by what authority do you teach that and who gave you that authority? Reminds me of what happened to a, to a, to a, to a, a Jewish friend of mine in Russia and, and he, was, he, was, he, he was an atheist 
were atheistic Russian, and he was going actually to a Jewish meeting. It wasn't a Christian meeting. And the man was up there teaching, and the KGB walked in there and said, and, 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 and said, uh, uh, what is that book there? And he said, well, it's the Torah. And he said, who gave you that book? And he said, Moses. <laughs> anyway, by what authority was the question? It's the same question that was actually asked of Moses, of Moses, by his own people, by his own people. You remember in Exodus 2.14, in Exodus 2.14, when he went to, to, to break up a fight between two Jewish people. That's unbelievable. Jewish people never fight. I can't understand that. But anyway, he went there to, to, to break up a fight. And it says, and one of them said in, in Exodus 2.14, he said, who may be a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And Moses ran for his life. Who made Moses? Who are you? He, they said, who are you? Who made you a, a, a prince and a judge? Well, as a matter of fact, God did. And he would be their prince and their judge. Who gave the Lord Jesus this authority? His answer, his answer or the answer is found all the way back in the Psalms. All the way back in the Psalms to the second Psalm. The second Psalm, where it says in Psalm 2, verse 6, Psalm 2, verse 6, God the Father is speaking and saying, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance in the uttermost parts of the earth for a possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's, that's authority. That's authority. And then that authority also, we can see where it was given in Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1, where it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool, where you put your feet. The Lord shall send the rod of his strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. So the Lord Jesus, when he was there, when he came out of the shadows, out of the shadows from the Psalms, out of the shadows, and he spoke directly of this, he said in John 5, 26, John 5, 26, as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. And then it says in Mark 127, Mark 20, 127, they were all amazed. They were just amazed. Can you picture? They were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. They do obey him. Now, what did he do? What did the Lord Jesus do with his authority on earth? With his authority on earth? What did he do? Mark 7.37. Mark 7.37. It says that they were, were beyond measure astonished as they looked at his life. And they said, they were beyond measure astonished, saying, he hath done all things well. Everything he did was good. He made the deaf to, to hear. He made the dumb to speak. He made the dumb to speak. And even the demons the demons said to him in Matthew 8.29, Matthew 8.29, behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Art thou, art thou come to torment us before the time? They knew the time was coming. 
They knew the time was coming. And they're saying, had you come to do this now? Because with authority, when he commanded them to not speak, they didn't speak. When he commanded them as a question, what is your name? They spoke, legion, some did. What did he do with this authority in heaven? That's what he did with his authority on earth. What did he do with his authority in heaven? Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.15 starts off when God said, God said to the serpent, to the devil, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Her seed, it shall bruise thy head. It shall crush thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. See, this is the verse that lays out what the Lord Jesus was going to do in his purpose, in his goal, in his mission. Crush the head of the serpent. Crush the head of the devil. And the verse, the verse before our verse that we're studying here in Revelation 12, in Revelation 12, Revelation 12, 9, Revelation 12, 9 says that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. What's he called there? He's called the old serpent. Going all the way back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. It's furthermore what he did with this authority is in Revelation 22. Revelation 20 verse 2. Revelation 20 verse 2. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. A thousand years. All this is talking about what the Lord Jesus Christ did as he dealt with our chief enemy. You may not think he's our chief enemy, but let me tell you, he is. He is. When it says in Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, why? That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That's the devil. That's the devil. And if there's one verse in the Old Testament that I want you to always remember, it's so easy to remember because of consecutive numbers, Hosea 13, 14, 13, 14, 13, 14, Hosea 13, 14. Why is that so important? Because there the Lord Jesus is talking directly to Satan, directly to the devil, and he says, he, he, he says I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Oh, death, I will be thy plagues. Oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. That was the Lord speaking directly to the devil, directly to the devil. And as I said, in Revelation, we see all this picture of where it's happening. It's happening in heaven. It says in Revelation 20.10, Revelation 20.10, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Death and hell, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That's what it says in Revelation 20.10, Revelation 20.14, and it's, that's spoken of as the second death, the second death. See, death is a person. Death, you, you thought death was just something that happens to you? No, no, death, there is someone behind death. That someone is the devil, and the devil is, 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 is brought to view here, and he's not new, he's not a new enemy, he's an old enemy. He's called the old serpent over and over again, as, as we're mentioning. He's the old serpent. He, he's the one that, that, that it says in 1 John 3, 8, 1 John 3, 8, he that commits sin is of the devil. The devil sins from the beginning. 
For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's such an interesting Greek word, that he might destroy. It's the word meaning disintegrate, that he might take apart bit by bit, piece by piece, dissolve, disintegrate. That's what it means. That's why he was manifested. Why did we see the Lord Jesus here on earth? So that he could disintegrate and dissolve the works of the devil, the works of the devil. When he was here, when he was here and he was talking to those who were opposed to him, he said in John 8, 44, when they said, the people were saying, oh, well, you know what, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're talking to the wrong people because, uh, you know, we have, uh, we, we were in bondage. You're, you're talking about you shall be free. The truth shall make you free. You'll be free. You know, it doesn't apply to us because we have Abraham's our father. And he looked squared at them when they said that. And he said, oh, uh, I don't accept it. I accept that you are the offspring of Abraham. But then he said, you are of your father, the devil. That's a nice way to introduce it. You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of the father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. They were gonna murder him. And abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. He's a liar. He was a liar and the father of it. So how do, what does the devil do to us? What is it? Well, the devil actually hinders us. He keeps us back. He hinders us. That We're given that in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 describes to us how the devil is our hinderer. When it says, wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. He hinders us. Now, the word devil is interesting because the word devil is actually made up of two Greek words. It's the diabolos, diabolos, and, 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 it, and, it, and it, it, when you put it together, it means the slanderer. That's what it means. That's what the devil means. It means the slanderer. Dia means by means of, and, and actually balos is, is kind of like a ball. It's like something that's thrown at you. It's thrown out like a slander. It's thrown out. The devil, devil means slanderer. Now, this is the first picture that we see of the devil in the Bible. We see him slandering. Who is he slandering? He slanders God. It says in Genesis 3, 1 through 5, this whole discourse here that he has with Eve is very interesting. In Genesis 3, 3, 1, where it says, the devil was more, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the, the, he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he, 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 he puts himself like, he's, he, like, he, like, he, like he needs instruction. So he comes to Eve and he says, well, tell me, did, did God really say that? You're not supposed to eat of every tree of the garden? And, and, and the woman said unto the serpent, by the way, that's the first problem, <laughs> that she engaged in a conversation because it wasn't long before, she, before he had her totally confused. But anyway, here's the way the conversation went. The woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, I don't remember God saying you shouldn't touch it, but she shouldn't touch it. But anyway, she adds that, okay. And then the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. So it's a bold lie. There it is right from the start. He is a liar. And that's the first picture that we see of him, the bold-faced lie. You shall not surely die. It was a lie. But then he goes on to say, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened. You'll be as God's knowing good and evil. So what's he doing here? What's Satan doing here? He's saying, no, 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 no. 
God is not to, God is not trying to protect you. God is trying to harm you. He's trying to restrict you from something that's really good. That's the first picture we have of the devil in the Bible. We see here the devil slandering God before men. Then we see another picture of the devil in Job 1.9, Job 1.9, where it says here that Satan is now talking to God. Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear thee for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. His substance is increased in the land, but pour forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he'll curse thee to thy face, which was actually the advice of his wife. But okay, there's other problems too. All right, a curse thee to thy face. So this is the devil again. This is Satan. By the way, Satan, the word Satan means adversary means someone who is against us. So here we see Satan, he's talking to God, and he says, and again, he says He says to God, God says, if you consider my servant Job as just none of them in the world, he really hates evil, what a a servant I've got there, you see him? And the devil says, no, 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 no. Now let's get this straight, God. Job doesn't love God. Job's love of God is about as thick as, as what Job has, the only reason Job loves God is because God has given Job a great family. God has given Job possessions. Take it away, and you'll see. He'll curse you to the face. And, and this is what Christian was bringing up a little bit earlier, that if everything was perfect, but God allows the non-perfect to try us. But actually, this is the question that the Lord Jesus raised to Peter when he said these words, when he brought him up on the shore and had, a, had, some, had some great fish cooking there, and, and he was hungry, and he was eating the fish, and I can relate, that sounds really good. But anyway, and then the Lord said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me more than these fish? And now, that's quite a question. Lovest thou me more than these? It, it, and, and that is a question which is put to each one of us, and that's why we go through what we go through. That's why you and I suffer the loss of loved ones, so that we can answer that question, do you love me more than that person? That's why you and I suffer the loss of health, because the question comes, do you lovest thou me more than your health? And you have to prove it. That's why you and I suffer the loss of possessions. That's why you and I suffer the loss of good plans for the future because the devil is slandering us to God just like he slandered Job. The devil is constantly saying to God about us, he only loves you because you've given him loved ones, good health, possessions, a great future, you name it. Take him away and you'll see that he will curse you to his face, to your face. That's the devil, that's a slanderer. He slanders, he slanders by accusing man to God. The devil slanders God to man as he did with Eve. The devil slanders man to God as he did with Job. That's what he's, that's why he's called the devil. He's the slanderer. And he's always looking. He's always on the hunt. He's always on the search for who he can devour. It says in 1 Peter 5 8, 1 Peter 5 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your Satan, the devil, the slanderer. Let's just plug in the meaning of the words. Be sober, be vigilant, because your, your Satan, the slanderer, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
Um, <clears throat> when it says the devil is walking about, that means the devil is in a constant state of restlessness, which the Lord described in, in Matthew 12, 43. Matthew 12, 43, when the Lord said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. That's the devil. He's always looking for an opportunity to do his destructive work. I remember this is what so impressed me when we were on a safari in the Serengeti in, in uh, Tanzania. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and John and several of us here. And, 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 and you think, oh, this is going to be wonderful. We're going to go down there and we'll see all these beautiful animals. It's a very tense place. Everything is, all these animals are on their guard for what's going to eat them, what's going to attack them. They're constantly, and there's all this kind of thing. It's a very, very violent place, but you know, that's the way it is. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.